Hello, everybody. Welcome to USA Rugby Happy Hour Live. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, these next couple minutes will give people a chance to get in here and get settled in the room and, you know, come and listen in. So we are here, as usual, to talk about what else? USA Rugby. More specifically tonight, USA Women's Rugby. Uh, to get updates on future shows and news about USA Rugby, Major League Rugby, and more, follow Eagles Overseas and Rugby Morning here on Twitter and other social media channels. Also, do us a favor. Share the show with your friends. The more, the merrier. Let's beef up, beef up this crowd every show. These are a lot of fun. I'm Bill Baker of Eagles Overseas, and with me by my side, well, 645 miles away by my side, is Rugby Morning's John Fitzpatrick. What's up, Fitzy? Hey, Bill. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? I'm swell. Anything new? What is new? I, well, I was looking at the calendar the other day, and um, a lot of exciting stuff coming up over the next couple of months. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it over these, these cold winter months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just the, just the anticipation of MLR, the hopefully uh, announcements of the men and women Eagles, you know, matches coming up this year, that kind of thing, which we'll get into a little bit tonight. But there's just so much, even overseas, you know, it's just some great stories coming out and some bad stories also. But it's just it seems like an odd time to have all this information thrown at us. But uh, maybe not. I guess with Six Nations coming up and stuff, it's fine. But you know what? One thing I noticed, I was going back at some of the, the rugby morning newsletters, Fitzy, and I'm, I'm just telling you now... Uh, I may be moving. Uh, I, I I don't know how I missed it last week, but the director of rugby for the Cayman Rugby Football Union came up. Um, I didn't even look at the qualifications. Resume sent, so uh, I may be doing the shows from there. Who knows? <laughs> well, Bill, actually, I've got an interview with them tomorrow, so I no. may have beaten you to the punch. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can take the game day event staff job at Old Glory since that's your backyard. Right, I'll, I'll do that. That'll work. <laughs> All right, so listen, uh, we got a lot to talk about, Fitz. So you know what? Let's just jump right into it. Um, our guests are here. They're raring to go. Uh, our first guest tonight, you know, uh, well, he's the new USA Women's Interim Head Coach, uh, Richard Ashfield. Hey, Richard, thank you for coming on the show tonight. Hey, uh, great to be here. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, longtime Eagles assistant coach. I mean, how does it feel to be in the driver's seat right now? Uh, it depends what day you ask me on. Sometimes I'm, it's like super exciting. Sometimes it's terrifying. Um, but you know, it's it's going to be a fun ride, and there's going to be a uh, hopefully a lot of a lot of good things coming. Well, anyway, now that Rob's gone, um, did you throw out like the lamp you hate, or start rearranging the furniture the way you? Were- <laughs> not, not quite yet. Um, still trying to figure out, you know, which lamps light up which areas. That's kind of the challenge at the moment. <laughs> all right all right we will get in some you know we're not gonna get too serious tonight but definitely yeah. want, to, I want to pick your brain about things so um i was i was an interim um varsity girls coach at high school level a soccer coach uh maybe not quite the commitment you're about to run into but uh i i totally feel what you're going through uh <laughs> but about that interim title okay um let's just talk about that for a second are you stepping in to help the program or is this something you're hoping that that title is stripped and you can have a long-term deal? Um, you know, I, I'm stepping in to help the program. What the future holds is, um, I guess, not a hundred percent of my control. So we'll just, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I think the, the idea was that I could bring a little bit of continuity, you know, uh, as you'll be saying, I've been an assistant, I've been around the program. You know, I did a little bit of work actually with Kathy Flores. Then I worked with both the, with Pete Steinberg and then I came in with Rob. So I, I've been around for a long time in, in a variety of different roles. Um, I think, you know, I'm hopefully going to be able to add a little bit of stability and continuity that uh, will help the players in the long run just to keep the program moving in the direction that, that we wanted to. 
Richard, this is uh, this is John. You're um, so we've you know we've we've read what the USA Rugby has put out and the the board of directors they're going through that high performance review and you're, you've touched on this a little bit. You're part of that process, I guess. I mean, hey, you know, you've got the interim tag on now, but what do you have to do to demonstrate, I guess, maybe trust in in becoming that full time head coach if that is something long term that you would like to do? That's a very good question. Um, I guess. You know, there's got to be progress. There's got to be a, a clear roadmap that we are we are moving in a direction that's going to suit USA Rugby and um, align both with the players that are, are overseas and align with the players that we have here in this country. You know, Rob had a very tough situation with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it created all sorts of, you know, domestic problems. And I think handled it admirably with, um, you know, the domestic... The, um, Sorry, the daily training environments, stuff like that. He, he, he had a plan when he came into the job, and then COVID just blew that plan up. And yeah. I think, um, you know, really being able to demonstrate we've got a, a way to move forward. We've got a way to bring our pathways back in line. Because I'll give you an example. I have, my, my, I have three young boys. They all play rugby. I was standing at their practice last week, and there was a girls' middle school and high school team playing, and it was unbelievable. Some of the some of the talent in this country at under eighteen, under twenty, under twenty three, like other countries would beg to have. We really need to align that, and it's super important for us moving forward. I think that's demonstrating that sort of clarity of thought, um, clarity to, of vision. I think will be really really important. Yeah, that that the the player pathway program setting up that for the long term certainly is going to take some time, right, and, and putting down those foundations now are important. I guess, you know, when you become a, a coach or an interim coach, what are your, some of your first steps, right? The players know you. They're familiar with you. You've been with the program for a few years. But how do you start to put your own imprint, I guess, on what happens over the next, say, just a couple of months? Um, I think, you know, the challenge as an interim is going to be getting the balance right of we need some short-term wins. Like, let's, let's really be honest. You know, I think we're at like a 20% win rate in the last five years, right? Now, that being said, we constantly play England, Canada, and New Zealand. It's yeah. pretty hard, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we need to balance that, get some short-term wins while setting the team up for that long-term success, while f- being able to utilize the core group and bring some of these young up-and-coming players in, give them a positive experience and, and put them on the pathway for, you know, six months, three years, even through to, to 2029, you know, if we bring a 20-year-old in now, you know, at 29, they're still in their prime. They're still able to go. And that's kind of the balance. So mm-hmm. I guess for me, short-term, how do we get wins now? But uh, how can we also set us up for three years' time at that World Cup with starting to bring some some people in? Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense, right? Keeping the core players together. Um, you know, they just come off a, a World Cup cycle, um, starting to, you know, introduce some new players into the system. Where... You know, where are you finding these players? Right, are they coming? Are they coming up from you know on the seven side? Are they part of the larger extended camp? Are there college players that you know USA Women's Eagles fans should be taking a look at? Where are some of maybe these newer players coming up from? Uh, I've had really good conversations with uh, Katie Doughty and Martha Danes on the the pathway side. They've identified a couple of players in colleges. And, and some in like lesser known colleges, um, there's a couple of uh, tight five players out of Idaho. Um, there's a player, I can't even remember, sorry, I'm bad with names. But um, we also, 
we've 23 in the UK, so they're playing in that full-time environment. But then there's also players like um, Thalia Brody, who played the WPL for Berkeley. Just com- she completed the season in Spain, then went and played uh, in New Zealand, and is currently over in the English Championship. There's a, a USA qualified player in Ireland playing for Bohemians, playing for Munster. Um, Emerson Allen just you know completed the season in Ireland. There's an outside centre in Australia playing for Sydney Uni. The challenge is keeping track of all of them. So the pathway is fantastic. Um, Martha is really on top. She's like um, the who's who of uh, rugby at the age grades. She somehow mem- remembers 500 players. Um, and then it's finding these other little pieces here and there. And then on the seven side, I have a very good relationship with Emily Bidewell. I, I coached her in college. I coached her in club side. And I've already been chatting with her about how we integrate the sevens players again because I think um, it behooves us to have these sevens players there. They, you know, speed is a weapon and we need to, to find how we can utilize it. And if all the, fa- all the fastest rugby players are in Chula Vista, how can we get hold of them and, and, and bring them into 15s in a way that, that works and complements both programs? You know, Richard, going, let's talk college rugby for a second here. Yeah. You, you just mentioned, you know, the college game. You've been working in the college game for a while, too. So yeah. when you look at the women's college game, you know, women's rugby, it's getting the whole sports status and becoming officially recognized by NCAA as a championship sport. I mean, how do you see women's college rugby here playing out over the next few years? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's such a minefield. Uh, are we talking, you know, uh, NCR, CRIA, ACR, NRIA. <laughs> well, that's which, which one? Yeah, it's so messed up. That's the thing. I mean, could it could it become one? You know, if yeah. NCAA gets it and does turn it into maybe their uh, championship. I mean, this is all ifs, of course. But yeah. that, that's that's way above my pay grade. Um, I guess... <laughs> Bill, we want to have Richard back on the program. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, you know, ideally, perfect world the best colleges in America play against the best colleges in America. Right. And there's opportunities for teams to grow and move up levels. But at the end of the day, this is an enormous country. Yeah. Right. So we have some, like we've a, we've a couple of players in the pathway, um, Central Washington university, really, really good. But, you know, we would love to see them go head to head against similar positions at Dartmouth. It's a 3,000-mile difference. Ah. We are going to have to get creative in how we can create some opportunities to see the best against the best in the short term. Ideally, Mark Cuban decides to not just give money to Indiana. Here, here's loads of money for all of rugby. You know, or Elon Musk, instead of buying Twitter, buys rugby. You know, the, the money floods in, but that's, I guess that's probably not going to happen. So another question about college rugby is more about you coaching. Yeah. Uh, you want? I read a graphic on the Stanford page. It said, "You said, I love co- coaching college rugby. I love the challenge of the four-year uh, cycle of an athlete. Mm-hmm. We're obviously in a shortened World Cup cycle coming up. Is that similar? To a degree, obviously, what we see mainly in the college game is brand new players. Yeah. So they they literally go from that's a rugby ball to in their fourth year, confident, understanding the game." You know, just when they figure it out, they graduate, and that's frustrating. Um, I guess it's it's a little bit similar in, but it's more big picture stuff. 
so they we're hoping that they come in on day one, they can catch pass tackles. That's pretty much why you got to the US team. But can you grasp the big picture concepts and have and we can build on them like you know Lego bricks over the four years or three years that this is going to be? And uh, so yeah, I, I really like that refresher. You know, after each in, in the cycles, it can be frustrating at times. Right. But uh, it's also a great challenge. Uh, Richard, as we talk a little bit about you're, you're bringing on new players and you're building the program, um, you know, you can, rugby fans like to point out and say, well, you know, New Zealand plays this style and South Africa plays this style. What, I guess, do you, is there a new identity that you want to try and establish with the women's Eagles? Is it keeping it similar? You know, what are your, what's your thought process for how, what a, women's eagle identity of rugby or style of play looks like um so i guess in the, in the short term and it's good you know we can't change everything overnight i guess the simple answer is we want to score more points than the opposition that's a good style we yeah. have you know we we have big athletic ball carriers we have speed um you look back at the i think the 17 world cup we were the second biggest and the fastest team there we were sec- sorry, second tallest Second, you know, our second heaviest pack, but we could move. Um, I think, you know, that we want to do. Um, I, I coach with Josh Shuckliff at Stanford. He has a saying: we do we want to do the ordinary well, really, really well, and that will create opportunities for the extraordinary. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to be solid at our set pace, use our dynamic ball carriers to create opportunities, dominate the game line. Um, like it's not, it, it may not be super flash to begin with. But I think if we can set the tone, because there's very few nations that have the athletic ability that we have in this country, that have, you know, the variety of players. Um, and with, with a lot with you know, crossover, different athletic experiences that are really benefit. And if we can harness that, I think we can, you know, we can cause a lot of teams a lot of problems. Which is exciting stuff, right? As a, as a fan, we love hearing about how creating problems um, and We've had uh, a number of these Twitter spaces over the last couple of months talking about, at least in the in the aftermath of um, what happened, at least in the final qualification with the men's Eagles. But like, what what is we what fans can we do? Maybe it was more of just kind of venting and frustration session. But we aired a, some of our grievances. But you know, one thing that I guess you know, as you talk about the future, we talk a little bit more about um, you know the play, player pool, and you know there'll be some matches coming up in March, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second here. Um, but were you going to, you may have answered some of this question, but will you be relying, I guess, on kind of the known player pool coming out of this last year's world cup, um, in order to maybe establish what that new identity may be? Um, I think the core will be there, you know, obviously after any world cup cycle, there will be retirements, there is injuries, there's, there's, you know, we have to look at the age profile and, you know, some may want to continue, but if they're going to be you know, 40 years old in three years, is that, you know, and, and there's a lot of different things there to look at. You know, we've got to be able to provide opportunities to bring new players in. And in the short term, that's going to be very difficult because there's no opportunities for camp. There's no club rugby being played in the U.S. until April. Um, so we will probably rely heavily on that World Cup squad in the short term while looking for opportunities to expose probably a few key positions we've, we've identified that we know we need to create more depth in. Right. So Richard, let's talk about just Rob came for a second here. Um, 
you know, you and Rob both have established strong relationships with the players. Uh, one of them's listening in right now. She's coming on in the second half. Uh, if we can get her to uh, tell a funny story at some point. Anyway, strong relationship with the players is very important. You talk about the importance of relationships and not just coaching them as a number on their back or a position on the field. Yeah, no, it's, you know, for, for many years, we've, we're now fortunate that we have 23 players playing in a full-time environment. Yeah. But before that, our 50, 75, whatever we earmarked, were juggling school, life, um, everything else. So we had to, to really be flexible, really be there as a shoulder whenever stuff got hard beyond the rugby um, and be accessible, you know, because at the end of the day, we're potentially asking someone, hey, you know, lose income for the three months, come and do this, get on the bus mm-hmm. with me. Um, and they have to trust you. Yeah. And sometimes you have to have those really difficult conversations, right? You know, I'm sorry, this is the end of the road for you. You've worked, you've done all the sacrifice, but it still isn't, you're still not making the cut. You know, so I think those, some of those personal relationships are just, it's so important. Hopefully, this, as the standards are driven in the professional environments that some of them start going to, and hopefully we get to that stage in, in the U.S., we can be a bit more demanding on the rugby. That's, I'm maybe not getting my words correct, but, you know, we need to, right now we are a coach, a mentor, you know, maybe a parental figure, maybe a friend at times, but right. we need to know which switch to click at which time. You know, we, they need to be able to get a pat in the back from us, but also a kick out the ass when it's necessary. <laughs> so jumping into this 23, um, you know, test series matches you may be running into now. I know there's, I guess there's supposed to be a series of games in March. Uh, not a lot of time for you to get ready for, you know, I, I know you've been in the mix already, but, you know, how do you prepare, you know, what, what do we have? Two and a half months, three months, maybe to those first matches. How are you preparing for those? And also Richard, those matches in March are part of the, you know, the women's 15 or the WXV that World Rugby is putting on. I, that is to be confirmed. So okay. I can't, I can't come on that. Right now we are, you know, um, as a, as putting our staff together, reviewing the squad, um, you know, where the holes have sort of popped up through some of the retirements, some injuries, um, earmarking a couple of the young players that we think are really ready to, to sort of go and, and be thrown in the deep end a little bit. Um, and then we're going to, uh, you know, we connect with the, the leadership that was at the World Cup um, and just talk a little bit with them about the game plan, what they, you know, what they thought worked, what was clear, what was unclear. So we can start to, to build something a little bit more moving forward that, that will hopefully be easy to get them on board with. Let me ask you one more thing about the the, the world for the women's 15 or WSV. I mean, mm-hmm. when you heard about that, when the coaching staff heard about that, was it excitement that you're finally going to get these certain amount of, you know, uh, tier one, tier two, whatever games, or was it maybe worry, how are we going to make this work out? Um, no, we never worry about how we're going to make it work. Cause we always end up making it work. Yeah. Um, uh, no, this is definitely excitement. You know, we, and I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, constantly playing England, France, New Zealand doesn't give you a lot of room for experiment to, you know, bringing a, maybe an 18, 19-year-old in who we see a load of potential in, okay, your first game's against England. That's very terrifying, not ideal. But having this competition with meaningful games 
against teams where we will definitely be competitive and hope, you know, coming into as favourites in hopefully a lot of games. And the potential to build some momentum, I think, will be huge. Like, it was definitely very exciting. And, you know, I'm sure the players as well are like, oh, great, we're playing Canada again for the 10th time in, in, in yeah. six months, you know? Yeah. I mean, we love USA versus Canada matches here, men's or women's. So if that means more game time, I'm all for it. But I can understand if, if the yeah. team's like, didn't we just play them? <laughs> but I think I, I think it's also a testament to the women's game, uh, 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 the situation yeah. set at the moment. You know, South Africa coming up, Fiji coming up, Japan, all yeah. the uh, all the Six Nations are all competitive. Spain are competitive. You know, this mm-hmm. is awesome that we're starting to really have a, a you know, instead of four or five teams that are really good and competitive, now we're in that 10, 12, hopefully moving towards 16 teams that are that are competitive. Absolutely. You know, I think you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but what's made um, the Women's Eagles program so competitive is is that a number of women, I think we're up to maybe 19, 20 now, are playing overseas. You talked about Premier 15s. Um, I want to talk a little about, bit about the, the WPL, right? You know, it, it is great that there is an opportunity for women to go play professionally, right, Again, in a high level and a high performance environment. Um, but back here in the States, you know, what will it take to get the WPL to the level where, you know, the women's Eagles can maybe stay here and get paid and still play top level rugby, professional rugby? Yeah, no, I like, you know, I hate to, to blame everything. COVID really hurt WPL. Um, yeah. Like I'm, I'm of the belief that we need a, a robust women's competition in this country. You know, it's, it's really good that there's professional opportunities abroad and we should celebrate the fact that we're creating players that these teams want, you know, they're coming asking for them. But yeah, we need some structure, even below the WPL. Like you, know, a strong Division One leading into a strong WPL, a strong collegiate game. They all go hand in hand because we have to be realistic. I coached in the WPL for seven years. When I was there, all the Eagles were there. It was great. But you, you know, if we have a player that lives in South Dakota, we can't say, "Hey, you need to uproot your life." you know, unless there is money involved. But if we can make sure there's strong division one layer below that can create opportunities as well. Um, I think like, and again, I'm spitballing and I, this is something I would love to say is some kind of um, possible partnership with MLR and WPL teams, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're working hard. The MLR teams are working hard to find facilities, to find gyms, to find sponsorships. I'm sure if the, their heads were put together on the leadership side, there's some mutual benefits to working together um, and helping increase fan bases, anything that's going to help. Um, you know, again, at the end of the day, everything in America, for my, my opinion, just comes down to money. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have, we have very good coaches, young up-and-coming coaches in the WPL at the moment, players that came through uh, the pathways, players that played national team rugby, and if we want them to develop, we want them to stay coaching at that level and not get burned out by doing it for free, you know, losing money doing it and putting their whole life on hold. It should hopefully we want to create opportunities for that. You know, I um I I've been out to a few Beantown games and I, I've been really excited. It's a lot of fun watching those matches. I know you coached them for a short amount of time. 
but yeah, it's 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 gonna WPL is strong now, and it can be so much better if it wasn't for COVID. But um, which you just mentioned. So uh, Richard, uh, we got about five minutes left with you. I want to I want to talk about the uh, World Rugby's Project Accelerate real quick. You know, for those of you not aware of it, and I'm stealing these these words from somewhere else. Uh, Project Accelerate is a targeted initiative by World Rugby to fast track the development and performance programs of of the women's game. You know, Richard, what more can you tell us about the initiative? And, you know, have you had any communication with World Rugby on developing, you know, specific growth metrics or anything? Um, short answer is no. No. <laughs> um, they, you know, the, the, there will be as part of that, the high performance review and they'll, they'll look top to bottom across the women's game. And then um, I think, you know, we can look at the success they've had in Australia and the, some of the structures they put in there are pretty exciting. So mm-hmm. hopefully we they can, it can have a similar impact um over here would be great great richard we've we only got about four minutes left and we normally like to end the conversations with some some fun lighter questions here so um, a quick wikipedia search tells me that you were born in hillsborough northern ireland yeah and and you now live in hillsborough california yeah did did you settle in another hillsborough on purpose did you plan that (laughs) Uh, well hillsborough northern ireland is now known as the royal hillsborough Oh. Um, they got they got fancy. Um, <laughs> and actually, when we moved, when we relocated from California, we literally stuck a pin in the map of where we needed this, a region we needed to stay. And I was like, Hillsborough, let's go. It was like it, it's serendipitous. <laughs> no, that's great. I I just thought that was um, fascinating. Um, talking a little bit about your uh, your playing career you played for the Ulster Juniors um yeah. was that the highest level you reached in, in your playing career or in, did you have aspirations to, to to for more um that was as, as high as I went um you know I, I'm sure my dream when I was seven years old was to play for Liverpool my you know my, my dream uh, and then you know I, I left the dark side of soccer uh my dream <laughs> at, at 16 was to play for Ulster I still you know I still hold out that I might get that call. Um, uh, but yeah, though, I think Ulster Juniors was about my, my ceiling. What, uh, what position did you play? Um, despite the fact that I'm shaped like a front row now, I was a 10 or a 15. <laughs> I think we're all reaching that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I found. Um, <laughs> but this interview isn't about me. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you, so... So Ulster fan, um, uh, Ireland in there. Who do you think is going to win the men's and the women's Six Nations? I'm going to put you on the spot here. Oh, this is actually interesting. I got a terrifying discussion today about the new English setup on the men's side. Because I think bringing Nick Evans in just means they're going to get the best out of Marcus Smith. Oh, this is awful. I'm, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to say France because I just can't sit, take myself to say England on the men's side. On the women's side, it's really hard to look past England. I think, you know, yeah. obviously they had a lot of disappointment at that World Cup and how it ended for them. But I think they'll come out all guns blazing just to prove a point. Richard Ashfield, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. And, you know, obviously good luck in the future with the USA Women's Squad. Uh, thank you very much. And can I just say hello to my buddy Tuna, who's on here listening? It's great to see his name pop up. So, Mike Mano. Oh, nice. You know what? That might be our first shout-out request from one of our guests. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> just forcing, I'm just forcing myself in there, sorry. Tuna, Tuna needs to ask a question. I think we might bring him up, actually. Oh, be careful. He knows a lot of bad stuff. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Richard, thanks again, and we'll chat again soon. 
Thank you very much. Good night. Hey, fans. Thank you for tuning in to this replay of Twitter Spaces USA Rugby Happy Hour Live. That was just the first half of the show. Be sure to check out the second half as well and previous shows here on the USA Rugby Happy Hour Live podcast on your favorite podcast player. Now, go check out the other shows. Go check out the other shows.